If you would turn in your Bible to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as we continue in Paul's letter uh, to the church in Thessalonica, a church that he, along with Silas and Timothy, helped to found and establish during Paul's second missionary journey uh, recorded there in Acts chapter 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Listen now to God's word. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. If you are uh, in your youth or uh, younger years and you're considering uh, what, what direction in life uh, God may be calling you to, this is an important passage of Scripture for you. Um, if you're in college or a young adult, you're perhaps discerning what, what possible uh, career direction God may be calling you to, this passage is also very important for you. If you're middle-aged, if you're in the middle or toward the end of your uh, vocational calling, perhaps you've had kids, the kids are raised, they're out of the house, or you're moving them in that direction, and you're considering, what is next for me? What what does God have for me? This is an important passage for you. And if you're in your latter, later years, And you're asking, what's the purpose of this season of life now that God has brought me into? This is an important passage for you. I think that covers most of us. Because while God calls his people to particular vocations, to be sure, engineers, homemakers, teachers, professors, mechanics, pastors, nurses, on and on, there's a calling that all of us share. And it is a calling that is radically more formational than any career. It's a calling also that is woven through all of life for the believer. And that is the calling to holiness. It is the calling to sanctification. Paul says in verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is the will, it's the calling of God for every Christian, every believer in the Lord Jesus. God has revealed that. This is his will for you. Some things belong to God's secret will. Things that are hidden from our understanding as to the purpose of them. Things we might attribute to God's mysterious and at times hard providence. We don't understand its purpose. He's not made it known to us. From the massive destruction caused by a tsunami or a hurricane to the pain of a loss, a miscarriage, a trial, 
all the way to the seemingly meaningless and mundane things that happen in life, like getting stuck in traffic. What's the purpose? Losing the shirt and the dryer, never to be found. Who knows where it is? What, what is this for? We don't know. But we do know God has a purpose in all things. Not a, not a sparrow falls from the ground apart from the will of the Father, the will of God. For those things which are part of God's hidden will, we should do as John Calvin said, and that is when God closes his holy mouth, let's stop the way that we may go no further. We don't know. And it's not that God doesn't shape us and teach us through those circumstances, the circumstances of his hidden will and providence. It's simply that he hasn't given us a roadmap to discover the meaning of it. As we read in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. But the verse goes on. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do what is in his word. There are things that are hidden, but there are many things that are revealed, clear to us, a part of his known and revealed will, the way unto salvation, the commandments of God made plain to us. The existence of God is plain through what he has made from Romans chapter 1 there. And certainly the call to a holy life. It's a part of his revealed will. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And I want to highlight just a couple of things about this call to a holy life. First of all, the calling cuts through all of life. It pierces all of life, every sphere of life. We see that in part by how Paul describes this uh, call. He says, we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. How you ought to walk and please God. So Paul uses the metaphor there of walking to describe the Christian life. This is a metaphor that's commonly used by Paul over 30 times in the New Testament throughout his letters. I remember as a youth in middle school and high school during youth group and small groups that we would participate in growing up in the life of the church, we would ask that question. Uh, one to another. That was how we spoke. How is your walk? How is your walk? We knew what we were meaning by that. H how are you doing in the Lord? Life, uh, the life of faith, the pursuit of holiness, is a journey, a pilgrimage. And so as we travel along, we're called to walk. And not just to walk, but to walk in a certain way. It's a way pleasing to God, consistent with His Word. It's far too easy in our kind of individualistic, fragmented age to kind of compartmentalize our lives. So we have our work life, and that's one compartment, and our family life is another, and our church life is another, maybe personal time, another. And that does make up aspects of our life. But Paul is saying this walk, this call uh, to holiness is to cut through all of life, all relationships, all encounters, all circumstances. And again, he's not only exhorting and encouraging us to, to walk, but to walk in a certain way. He's reminding of them of this. Here's how you ought to walk, as we taught you, in a way pleasing to God. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we heard this passage read earlier in the New Testament reading Paul says something very similar. Again, uses the metaphor of walking. He says there in 
Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Thus do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Very similar language we see. He emphasizes there the will of God, as he does in Thessalonians. He employs also the metaphor of walking. But in verse 15, there's a hopeful word Paul uses to describe the way that we are to walk. He says, look carefully how you walk. It's the Greek word akrobos, from which we get acrobat. That is, as we live our Christian lives, we're not simply meandering through or moseying through life. We're walking with wisdom, with nuance, applying his word to the circumstances in our lives, carefully knowing and applying God's word. So it cuts through all of life. The second aspect about this call to holiness is that it is a response to God's saving grace, not the cause of his saving grace. By themselves, these verses at the beginning of chapter 4 could lead a person to conclude how this walk and a life with God is obtained is by one's own holy living. But life with God and in God is not obtained by our own holiness. The opposite is true. Life with God is obtained despite the absence of holiness. And this is important. We're in chapter 4, but before chapter 4, you've got 1, 2, and 3. Paul has already said to them in chapter 1, verse 4, We know, brothers, that you are loved by God, that he has chosen you. For our gospel came not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. It took effect. He's also said in chapter 2, verse 13, that we thank God that when you received the word, you received it not as the words of men, but as what it is, really, really the word of God. God had chosen them. He had set his love upon them. And by his grace, he opened their eyes, the eyes of their hearts, to see and embrace the gospel of Christ. So they had obtained a life with God. Now they're being urged to live a life that reflects God-likeness. And this is so important. The pursuit of holiness is no longer a joyful pursuit when we have forgotten the grace and the mercy of Christ that set us upon this glorious path. So it's first the grace of God, then it's walking in holiness. This is the pattern that we see uh, in the ministry and teaching of Christ himself. Uh, before that wonderful Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, what do we see Jesus doing and teaching? Matthew chapter 4. He first begins to proclaim the gospel. He calls people to repent, believe in the gospel, the kingdom of God is at hand. Later in chapter 4, he then begins to call disciples by name. Peter and Andrew, James and John, follow me. Then we're told in chapter 4, he went throughout the land proclaiming the gospel, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So he first demonstrates his grace and mercy and his power, calls people to himself. Then he starts to speak about walking in his ways, his ethical teachings, his moral teachings. And I think it's important the tenor in which Paul, here in Thessalonians, is urging this life of holiness. It's not in the manner in which he wrote to the Corinthians. 
rebuking them, correcting them. He, he didn't even address the Corinthians as spiritually mature, but mere infants, even those of the flesh, living as though they had a license to sin. But, but Paul's tenor and spirit here is different. He says, just as you received from us how you ought to walk, just as you are doing, he says, do so more and more. Another important and helpful word here. Do this more and more. That word for more and more means to superabound, be in excess, in overabundance. This word is used about 40 times in the New Testament. The gospel writers use it when referring to all of the abundant leftovers of bread and food after the miraculous working of Jesus and the multiplying of the loaves and fishes. There was an abundance of leftover food. Paul uses it in Ephesians 1 when he speaks about the riches of God's grace which he lavished on us. And Paul used it just a few verses previous in his pastoral prayer at the end of chapter 3. That the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Now he says, just as you know how to walk and please God, do this more and more. You know, it's often said, I'm sure we've all heard it, maybe said it ourselves, all things in moderation. All things in moderation. I think this is traditionally one of the four cardinal virtues. Moderation, temperance, prudence, justice, courage, temperance, moderation. In most things, moderation is important. I think even consuming too much water can kill a person. It's why we read on the back of many uh, medicine bottles that label overdose warning. Too much of this can do you harm, can even take your life. But there are some things that you cannot overdo. Where moderation is actually the enemy of excess and overabundance. And holiness and sanctification is one of them. You cannot have too much holiness happening in your life. Hopefully no believer is ever going to say, hey, you need to pull the reins on the pursuit after sanctification. Okay? Take it easy. No, Paul says, do this more and more. More and more. And the tenor, the spirit of Paul's words are also important because he begins to then give shape to what this sanctification looks like in this particular context. He's not correcting them. He's not rebuking them. He is encouraging them, in their case, to continue in holiness. And here's how it takes shape. Personal purity. Relational purity is how we see it take shape. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. That term, sexual immorality, often used and translated that way in many English versions, is riddled throughout the New Testament. And it often heads the list when numerous sins are mentioned uh, in a row. This is a term that would include adultery, prostitution, sexual relations between unmarried individuals, homosexuality. It's also a word in Greek from which we derive the English word pornography. At root, the word means selling off, 
because it is the selling off of sexual purity, sexual holiness. Why would Paul zero in on this issue? This is the will of God, your sanctification. Abstain from this. Certainly, he knew that man's heart is deceitful, above all things, desperately sick, as Jeremiah says. But he's also writing in the context of a Greek-Roman world that was ignorant, benighted, sexually off the rails. One author said this, In Paul's day, marriages were most of the time arranged. Young men in their 20s and young ladies in their teens had barely met when they were married. It was simply an arrangement for exchanging money and goods, creating an environment where many didn't expect husbands to be committed to their marriages. Sexual misconduct and adultery were widespread. Prostitution was a business just like any other source of income. Adultery was so widespread that Emperor Augustus established law codes to reform marital conduct. Remember also, however, from where Paul is writing 1 Thessalonians and likely 2 Thessalonians. Most believe he was writing in Corinth during his 18-month stay there in that city, year and a half. And we know one of the great concerns Paul had for the Corinthian church is their sexually licentious behavior. 1 Corinthians 5.1, when he wrote to them, he said, it's actually reported that there's a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated by the pagan world. So Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians to live pure lives amidst a godless culture. We are in that kind of context as well. And I think there's an important point about the response, about the remedy to the reality of sin and impurity. The church's answer to the presence of sin is not just stop. We we don't do that. Well, it's true. Hopefully we do not. But the church's answer goes beyond that. Let me tell you about someone who heals. Let me tell you about someone who can restore your life, who can forgive sin, cancel your debt, who can instill in your heart and life new desires and passions for something that will much more deeply satisfy. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think one of the most important points to be made, whether about sexual sin or sin of any kind, is that it is a form of robbery. It robs us of greater satisfaction and greater joy. Along with creating destruction in our own lives and perhaps those around us. Remember Jesus' words in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart are those who watch and ponder the words and the ways of God. Like Mary, Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Martha busy serving. And Mary, what's she doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's wanting to listen to him, to ponder his words and his ways. And Jesus says that was the better portion. And what's the blessing? A greater, grander vision of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. That's that's the gift. That's the blessing. As God 
purifies our hearts, as he cleanses us, as he sanctifies us, we get to see and behold more and more of this glorious and wonderful God. So the message is not simply, clean up your act. Rather, look to him who cleanses, who renews, who reveals more and more of himself. And in this pursuit, in this life of sanctification, not only has God not withheld his only son for our redemption, but he has granted to all of his children his spirit, the very spirit of God. He says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The reason we are a holy people and grow in holiness is not because of our intellectual prowess or strength of will, but because a holy God dwells within this temple of ours. So, how is your walk? How is your walk? Whether you're running well, your eyes are fixed upon the Lord, you're running with uh, strength, vibrancy, or you're running with what my friend calls the survival shuffle. He's actually talking about physical running in that case. I said, how was your run? It was a survival shuffle. <laughs> when you're tired, it's difficult. Either way, know a good and holy God dwells within you. He's working in you to will and to work for his good purposes. That is hope. That is encouragement. Earlier last week, after Hurricane Ida tore through uh, Mississippi and uh, beyond, the next couple of days, news uh, articles started to come out, and several of the headlines were very similar, and they just grabbed my attention. One of them uh, put it this way. Headline, Mississippi River reverses flow as Hurricane Ida makes landfall. The article said, storm surge and strong winds from Hurricane Ida stopped the flow of the Mississippi River near New Orleans on Sunday and caused it to reverse. The reversal of the Mississippi is extremely uncommon. I would think so. <laughs> According to officials with the U.S. Geological Survey. I'm sure there's Various uh, influences as to what does that rise and see, and not just the winds. Uh, but nevertheless, it just struck me. That's power. To stop and reverse the flow of the Mississippi River. And that's exactly what God does in an even more powerful way in the life of every person who comes to faith in him. He, he stops and he reverses the flow of sin. That's the work that he does. If God can stop and reverse the flow of the Mississippi, he can certainly do good, glorious, and godly, powerful things in the lives of his people. This Holy Spirit, the very person of God, uh, dwells within his people to carry out his glorious purposes and to sanctify us. Let's pray together. Oh God, you are uh, marvelous in your ways, gracious uh, toward your people. And you demonstrate uh, mighty power uh, by your spirit. Lord, help us by your mercy to live um, walking in step with the spirit. 
knowing your kindness and gentleness toward us as sinners, weak and frail, in need of your sustaining mercy daily. We pray that you would, uh, Lord, pull those of us up who maybe are uh, feeling despair or discouragement. Uh, Sin can have that kind of effect, as we know, Lord. But help us to fix our eyes upon you, and in so doing, uh, behold that which is pure, that which is wonderful, that which is good for our souls. So encourage our hearts, O Lord, as you sanctify us, as you fill us with hope, knowing that that wonderful work you began in the life of every believer in your Son, you carry it on, you move it forward, and you will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that you continue to feed our souls, feed our lives, uh, not only from your word, but now from uh, this supper that we enjoy together. For these things we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.